0: Chapters 21 through 23 of The Angel of Terror. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. This reading by Allison Hester of Athens, Georgia. The Angel of Terror by Edgar Wallace. Chapter 21 it seemed to lydia that she had been abroad for years though in reality she had been three days in cap martin when mr marcus stepney became a regular caller even the most objectionable people improve on acquaintance and give the lie to first impressions mr stepney never bored her he had an inexhaustible store of anecdotes and reminiscences none of which was in the slightest degree offensive he was something of a sportsman too and he called by arrangement the next morning after his introduction to the cap Martin household and conducting her to a sheltered cove containing two bathing huts he introduced her to the exhilarating mediterranean sea bathing is not permitted in monte carlo until may and the water was much colder than lydia had expected They swam out to a floating platform when Mr. Briggerland and Jean put in an appearance. Jean had come straight from the house in her bathing gown, over which she wore a light wrap. Lydia watched her with amazement, for the girl was an expert swimmer. She could dive from almost any height and could remain underwater an alarming time. I never thought you had so much energy and strength in your little body, said Lydia, as Jean with a shriek of enjoyment drew herself on the raft and wiped the water from her eyes there's a man up there looking at us through glasses said briggerland suddenly i saw the flash of the sun on him he pointed to the rising ground beyond the seashore but they could see nothing presently there was a glitter of light amongst the green and lydia pointed i thought that sort of thing was never done except in comic newspapers she said But Jean did not smile. Her eyes were focused on the point where the unseen observer lay or sat, and she shaded her eyes. Some visitor from Monte Carlo, I expect. People at Cap Martin are much too respectable to do anything so vulgar. Mr. Briggerland, at a glance from his daughter, slipped into the water and, with strong heavy strokes, made his way to the shore. Father is going to investigate, said Jean, and the water really is the warmest place and with that she fell sideways into the blue sea like a seal dived down into its depths and presently lydia saw her walking along the white floor of the ocean her little hands keeping up an almost imperceptible motion presently she shot up again shook her head and looked round only to dive again in the meantime though lydia who was fascinated by the manoeuvre of the girl did not notice the fact. Mr. Briggerland had reached the shore, pulled on a pair of rubber shoes, and, with his mackintosh buttoned over his bathing dress, had begun to climb through the underbrush towards the spot where the glasses had glistened. When Lydia looked up, he had disappeared. "'Where is your father?' she asked the girl. "'He went into the bushes.' Mr. Stepney volunteered the information. "'I suppose he's looking for the paw pry.' Mr. Stepney had been unusually glum and silent, for he was piqued by the tactless appearance of the Briggerlands. "'Come into the water, Marcus,' said Jean peremptorily as she put her foot against the edge of the raft and pushed herself backward. "'I want to see Mrs. Meredith dive.' "'Me?' said Lydia in surprise. "'Good heavens, no! "'After watching you, I don't intend making an exhibition of myself.' i want to show you the proper way to dive said jean stand up on the edge of the raft lydia obeyed straight up said jean now put both your arms out wide now there was a sharp crack from the shore something whistled past lydia's head struck an upright post splintering the edge and with a whine went ricocheting into the sea lydia's face went white What was that? She gasped. She had hardly spoken before there was another shot. This time, the bullet must have gone very high, and immediately afterwards came a yell of pain from the shore. Jean did not wait. She struck out for the beach, swimming furiously. It was not the shot, but the cry which had alarmed her, and without waiting to put on coat or sandals, she ran up the little road where her father had gone, following the path through the undergrowth, Presently she came to a grassy plot in the center of which two tall pines grew side by side and lying against one of the trees was the huddled figure of Briggerland. She turned him over. He was breathing heavily and was unconscious. An ugly wound gaped at the back of his head and his mackintosh and bathing dress were smothered with blood. She looked round quickly for his assailant But there was nobody in sight, and nothing to indicate the presence of a third person, but two shining brass cartridges, which lay on the grass. End of chapter 21 Chapter 22 Lydia Meredith only remembered swooning twice in her life, and both these occasions had happened within a few weeks she never felt quite so unprepared to carry on as she did when with an effort she threw herself into the water at marcus stepney's side and swam slowly toward the shore she dared not let her mind dwell upon the narrowness of her escape whoever had fired that shot had done so deliberately and with the intention of killing her she had felt the wind of the bullet in her face what do you suppose it was asked Marcus Stepney as he assisted her up the beach. Do you think it was soldiers practicing? She shook her head. Oh, said Mr. Stepney thoughtfully, and then, if you don't mind, I'll run up and see what has happened. He wrapped himself in the dressing gown he had brought with him and followed Jean's trail, coming up with her as Mr. Briggerland opened his eyes and stared round. Help me to hold him, Marcus, said Jean. Wait a moment said Mr. Stepney, filling in his pocket and producing a silk handkerchief. Bandage him with that. She shook her head. He's lost all the blood he's going to lose, she said quietly, and I don't think there's a fracture. I felt the skull very carefully with my finger. Mr. Stepney shivered. Hello, said Briggerland drowsily. Gee, he gave me a whack. Who did it? asked the girl. Mr. Briggerland shook his head and winced with the pain of it. I don't know, he moaned. Help me up, Stepney. With the man's assistance, he rose unsteadily to his feet. What happened? asked Stepney. Don't ask him any questions now, said the girl sharply. Help him back to the house. A doctor was summoned and stitched the wound, he gave an encouraging report and was not too inquisitive as to how the injury had occurred foreign visitors get extraordinary things in the regions of monte carlo and medical men lose nothing by their discretion it was not until that afternoon propped up with pillows in a chair the center of a sympathetic audience that mr briggerland told his story i had a feeling that something was wrong he said and i went up to investigate i heard a shot fired almost within a few yards of me and dashing through the bushes i saw the fellow taking aim for the second time and seized him you remember the second shot went high what sort of man was he asked stepney he was an italian i should think answered mr briggerland at any rate he caught me an awful whack with the back of his rifle and i knew no more until Jean found me "'Do you think he was firing at me?' Lydia asked in horror. "'I am certain of it,' said Briggerland. "'I realized it the moment I saw the fellow.' "'How am I to thank you?' said the girl impulsively. "'Really, it was wonderful of you to tackle an armed man with your bare hands.' Mr. Briggerland closed his eyes and sighed. "'It was nothing,' he said modestly. Before dinner, he and his daughter were left alone for the first time since the accident. What happened? she asked. It was going to be a little surprise for you, he said. A little scheme of my own, my dear. You're always calling me a funk, and I wanted to prove-what happened? she asked tersely. Well, I went out yesterday morning and fixed it all. I bought a rifle, an old English rifle, at Amiens from a peasant. I thought it might come in handy, especially as the man threw in a packet of ammunition. Yesterday morning, lying awake before daybreak, I thought it out. I went up to the hill. The land belongs to an empty house, by the way, and I located the spot, put the rifle where I could find it easily, and fixed a pair of glass goggles onto one of the bushes where the sun would catch it. The whole scheme was not without its merit as a piece of strategy, my dear, he said complacently. And then she said i thought we'd go bathing yesterday but we didn't but today it was a long time before anybody spotted the glasses but once i had the excuse for going ashore and investigating the rest was easy she nodded so that was why you asked me to keep her on the raft and make her stand up he nodded well she demanded i went to the spot got the rifle and took aim "'I've always been a pretty good shot.' "'You didn't advertise it today,' she said sardonically. "'Then I suppose somebody hit you on the head?' He nodded and made a grimace, but any movement of his injured cranium was excessively painful. "'Who was it?' she asked. He shrugged his shoulders. "'Don't ask fool questions,' he said petulantly. "'I know nothing. I didn't even feel the blow. "'I just remember taking aim.' and then everything went dark and how would you have explained it all supposing you had succeeded that was easy he said i should have said that i went in search of the man we had seen i heard a shot and rushed forward and found nothing but the rifle she was silent pinching her lips absently and you took the risk of some peasant or visitor seeing you, took the risk of bringing the police to the spot and turning what might have been easily a case of accidental death into an obvious case of willful murder. I think you called yourself a strategist, she asked politely. I did my best, he growled. Well, don't do it again, father, she said. Your foolhardiness appalls me. And heaven knows, I never expected that I should be in a position to call you foolhardy. And with this, she left him to bask in the hero worship, which the approaching Mrs. Cole Mortimer would lavish upon him. The accident kept them at home that night, and Lydia was not sorry. A settee is not a very comfortable sleeping place, and she was ready for a real bed that night. Mr. Stepney found her yawning surreptitiously and went home early in disgust. The night was warmer than the morning had been. the fore wind was blowing, and she had found her room with its radiator a little oppressive. She opened the long French windows and stepped out onto the balcony. The last quarter of the moon was high in the sky, and though the light was faint, it gave shadows to trees and an eerie illumination to the lawn she lent her arms on the rail and looked across the sea to the lights of monte carlo glistening in the purple night her eyes wandered idly to the grounds and she started she could have sworn she had seen a figure moving in the shadow of the tree nor was she mistaken presently it left the tree belt and stepped cautiously across the lawn halting now and again to look around she thought at first that it was marcus stepney who had returned but something about the walk of the man seemed familiar presently he stopped directly under the balcony and looked up and she uttered an exclamation as the faint light revealed the iron gray hair and the grisly eyebrows of the intruder all right miss he said in a hoarse whisper it's only Jaggs." what are you doing she answered in the same tone Just looking around, he said, just looking round, And he limped again into the darkness. End of chapter 22. Chapter 23. So old Jags was in Monte Carlo. Whatever was he doing? And how was he getting on with these people who spoke nothing but French? She wondered. She had something to think about before she went to sleep. She opened her eyes singularly awake as the dawn was coming up over the gray sea. She looked at her watch. It was a quarter to six. Why she had wakened so thoroughly she could not tell, but remembered with a little shiver another occasion she had wakened, this time before the dawn, to face death in a most terrifying shape. She got up out of bed, put on a heavy coat, and opened the wire doors that led to the balcony. The morning was colder than she imagined and she was glad to retreat to the neighborhood of the warm radiator. The fresh, clean hours of the dawn when the mind is clear and there is neither sound nor movement to distract the thoughts are favorable to sane thinking. Lydia reviewed the past few weeks in her life and realized for the first time the miracle which had happened. It was like a legend of old. The slave had been lifted from the king's ante room the struggling artist was now a rich woman she twiddled the gold ring on her hand absent-mindedly and she was married and a widow she had an uncomfortable feeling that in spite of her riches she had not yet found her niche she was an odd quantity as yet the cole mortimers and the briggerlands did not belong to her ideal world and she could find no place where she fitted she tried In this state of mind so favorable to the consideration of such a problem, to analyze Jack Glover's antagonism toward Jean Briggerland and her father, it seemed unnatural that a healthy young man should maintain so bitter a feud with the girl whose beauty was almost of a transcendent quality, and all because she had rejected him. Jack Glover was a public school boy, a man with a keen sense of honor. She could not imagine him being guilty of a mean action. And such men did not pursue vendettas without good reason. If they were rejected by a woman, they accepted their conseil with a good grace. And it was almost unthinkable that Jack should have no other reason for his hatred. Yet, she could not bring herself even to consider the possibility that the reason was the one he had advanced. She came again to the dead end of the conjecture. She could believe in Jack's judgment up to a point, Beyond that, she could not go. She had her bath, dressed, and was in the garden when the eastern horizon was golden with the light of the rising sun. Nobody was about. The most energetic of the servants had not yet risen, and she strolled through the avenue to the main road. As she stood there looking up and down, a man came out from the trees that fringed the road and began walking rapidly in the direction of Monte Carlo. Mr. Jaggs, she called. He took no notice, but seemed to increase his limping pace, and after a moment's hesitation, she went flying down the road after him. He turned at the sound of her footsteps, and in his furtive way, drew into the shadow of a bush. He looked more than usually grimy. On his hands were an odd pair of gloves, and a soft slouch hat that had seen better days covered his head. "'Good morning, Miss,' he wheezed. "'Why were you running away, Mr. Jags?' she asked a little out of breath. "'Not running away, Miss,' he said, glancing at her sharply from under his heavy white eyebrows. "'Do you spend all your nights looking round?' she smiled at him. "'Yes, Miss.' At that moment, a cyclist zondarm came into view. He slowed down as he approached the two and dismounted. "'Good morning, madame,' he said politely, and then looking at the man. "'Is this man in your employ? "'I have seen him coming out of your house every morning.' "'Oh, yes,' said Lydia hastily. "'He's my—' She was at a loss to describe him, but old Jag saved her the trouble. "'I'm madame's courier,' he said, and to Lydia's amazement he spoke in perfect French. "'I am also the watchman of the house.' "'Yes, yes,' said Lydia, after she had recovered from her surprise. "'Monsieur is the watchman, also.' "'Bien, madame,' said the gendarme. "'Forgive my asking, but we have so many strangers here.' They watched the gendarme out of sight. Then old Jaggs chuckled. "'Pretty good French, wasn't it, miss?' he said, and without another word, turned and limped in the trail of the police. She looked after him in bewilderment. So, he spent every night in the grounds or somewhere about the house? The knowledge gave her a queer sense of comfort and safety. When she went back to the villa, she found the servants were up. Jean did not put in an appearance until breakfast, and Lydia had an opportunity of talking to the French housekeeper, whom Mrs. Cole Mortimer had engaged when she took the villa. From her, she learnt a bit of news, which she passed on to Jean almost as soon as she put in an appearance. The gardener's little boy is going to get well, Jean. Jean nodded. I know, she said. I telephoned the hospital yesterday. It was so unlike her conception of the girl that Lydia stared. The mother is in isolation, Lydia went on. And Madame Suvette says that the poor woman has no money and no friends. I thought of going down to the hospital today to see if I could do anything for her. "'You'd better not, my dear,' warned Mrs. Cole Mortimer nervously. "'Let us be thankful we've gotten a little brat out of the neighborhood "'without our catching the disease. "'One doesn't want to seek trouble. "'Keep away from the hospital.'" "'Rubbish,' said Jean briskly. "'If Lydia wants to go there, there is no reason why she shouldn't. "'The isolation people are never allowed to come into contact with visitors, "'so there is really no danger.'" I agree with Mrs. Cole Mortimer, grumbled Briggerland. It is very foolish to ask for trouble. You take my advice, my dear, and keep away. I had a talk with a Zendane this morning, said Lydia, to change the subject. When he stopped and got off his bicycle, I thought he was going to speak to me about the shooting. I suppose it was reported to the police? Er, yes, said Mr. Briggerland, not looking up from his plate. Of course. Have you been into Monte Carlo? Lydia shook her head. No, I couldn't sleep, and I was taking a walk along the road when he passed. She said nothing about Mr. Jacks. The police at Monaco were very sociable. Mr. Briggerland sniffed. Very, he said. Have they any theories? she asked. In her innocence, she was persisting a subject which was wholly distasteful to Mr. Briggerland about the shooting i mean yes they have theories but my dear i should advise you not to discuss the matter with the police the fact is invented mr briggerland i told them that you were unaware of the fact that you had been shot at and if you discussed it with the police you would make me look rather foolish when lydia and mrs cole mortimer had gone jean seized an opportunity which the absence of the maid offered "'I hope you are beginning to see how perfectly insane your scheme was,' she said. "'You have to support your act with a whole series of bungling lies. "'Possibly Marcus, like a fool, has mentioned it in Monte Carlo, "'and we shall have the detectives out here asking why you have not reported the matter.' "'If I were as clever as you,' he growled. "'You're not,' said Jean, rolling her serviette. "'You're the most unclever man I know.' End of chapter 23.